So, following on from Easter, we moved into Acts, and within our series in Acts, we've had a little mini-series on the Holy Spirit, and today we are finally ready to get to Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was first given. So let's read that now. I'm reading from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Please follow if you have a Bible there, and it will be on the screen for you as well. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, don't get too hung up on this long list. It's just a colorful way of saying people from everywhere in the known world. Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, without you we cannot have a living relationship with God. We cannot grow or take your love to others. As we study your word now, will you open it to us so that it speaks not just to our ears but also to our hearts. The word is yours So come and make it live in us, we pray. Amen. Okay, so forgive me another quick recap, but I've had a clear structure in my head as we've worked through our series and progressed through this, and it's good to just remind ourselves of what we've covered uh, and how what I want to do today fits in with the pathway that we've been on. So at the start of our series, we saw that Jesus told his disciples that although he would be leaving them, he was going to send someone else who would be everything to them that he had been to them. We know that he meant the Holy Spirit, but at the time they didn't know what he meant. They wouldn't have known quite what he meant by that. And we saw that in Acts 1, just before he leaves them, Jesus tells the disciples then that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now again, they wouldn't have had much to go on when he said that about what he meant, but that is what he said. 
he has this habit of saying mysterious things to them and they have to wait and work it out and they understand later, they come to understand later what it was that he meant. And we've seen uh, in Ephesians 1, uh, it tells us that we all receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of turning to Christ. It is God's marker on us that we belong to him now and he has adopted us into his family. And we saw in Ephesians 5 that we need to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just a once for all time thing. We saw that we have to ask and keep on asking to be filled and to keep on being filled again and again. And then a couple of weeks ago, we thought about how we ask. We thought about the nature of our asking. And we saw that our asking needs to be total, a total surrender, a total emptying of ourselves so that he can totally fill us. We saw that our asking needs to be open. We need to let the Holy Spirit do what he chooses in us. We don't get to decide. Our asking needs to be persistent. We need to keep on asking and seeking him and not give up just because it feels like nothing obvious has happened yet. And it needs to be in partnership that he wants to work with us. We don't just sit back. He wants to work with us and the gifts that he's given us and make those really take off in his power. And then last week, we looked at what it is that the Holy Spirit does when he fills us, what we get when he fills us, what difference it makes. We saw that he points us to Jesus, that he gives us certainty that our faith is real. He renews us. He speaks to us through scripture. He gives us wisdom. He gives us light and truth, and he convicts us of the sin that is in us. And I also said last week that he gives us power. And I promised that I would talk today about how he gives us power and what that means. So a better way of saying it really would be that he empowers us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. And that's the title for our series, as you can see on the screen. And underneath the word empowered, you can see that I've put the definition, it's in very small writing, the definition of what being empowered means. To be given the confidence and the means to achieve something. The confidence and the means So Jesus gives the disciples a job to do. Uh, In chapter one, he says, you will be my witnesses to the entire world, to all people in all places everywhere. But the bit where he says that, that's actually the second half of the verse. It's the second half of a sentence, actually. The whole sentence says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you will be my witnesses to the whole world. Those two things are connected. 
So Jesus is giving them a job to do, but Jesus knows that what lies ahead for them simply cannot be done without him. There will be opposition. There will be rejection. The hearts and minds of the people will be closed. If he just sends them out on their own to do this, they will get nowhere. And so he's saying, I'm giving you this task to do, to tell people about me, to tell people about God's love in my name. But not for one moment will you be able to do that without me, without me being with you. And not for one moment will I let you do that without me and without me being with you. The plan was never that Jesus would exit the earth, stage right, and and just leave them and leave us to it that his part was over and it's just all over to us now. It is still his work and he is still doing it. But now he's going to do it through them. He's going to build his church as he promised that he would do. He is going to usher in the kingdom, the kingdom of the God of justice and mercy and peace and the way that he's going to do that is through the people that he adopts as his own his people will be filled with him filled with his presence and the power of his holy spirit and then they're going to change the world and so this day this day of pentecost this is about equipping that very first team for what he had tasked them to do. The Holy Spirit is poured out and they are filled. Let's have a look at how it happens. So into chapter 2 then, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, we don't know exactly who Luke means when he says all. Chapter 1 has said that there were about 120 believers at that time. And so the, the, the common belief is that that's what this is, that all 120 of them, all the Christian believers that there were in the whole world at that time, they had gathered together for the Pentecost festival. It's a Jewish festival, Pentecost, like Passover. And this is about two months after the crucifixion. And it's maybe about a week or so after Jesus has been taken into heaven after the ascension. We're not told what they were doing at this time. They were waiting, as as Monty has talked to us about. We're not told what they were doing at this particular moment when this happening happened. They might have been praying. They might have been having a discussion. They might have been eating a meal together. It doesn't say what they were doing. But whatever it is that they're doing, without warning, something starts to happen that is not like anything they've ever experienced before. There is a sound. 
that is not a wind, but sounds something like a strong wind that fills the room. And then there's something that isn't fire, but looks something like fire, like flames that comes and rests on each of them. This is the arrival of the Holy Spirit upon each of them. Luke is pretty light on the details, really. For such an amazing supernatural happening, he doesn't even attempt to explain exactly how this happened and exactly what is happening. The details of the what and the how are pretty vague. And that's because Luke doesn't want us to focus on that. What he wants us to focus on is that something amazing happened. And that thing that happened was the start of something. It was the start of everything. For Luke, this event, this coming of the Spirit, this is the foundational event that is going to make everything else possible. This happening, this is central to everything else that is going to happen from that moment on up to and including us here today and all that lies in our future. It is central to everything that happens from then on. So let's look at two things about this happening. We don't know the mechanics of exactly what happened and how. But here are two things that we do know. We know that it happened when they were together. And we know that it happened to each of them individually, personally. So individually, but together. So this didn't happen when they were all scattered in their own homes. God's spirit came to them when they were together. It came when they were demonstrating in a literal and physical way unity and togetherness. We are together. We belong together. We support one another. God brings us together. And it happened when they were in obedience. Jesus had told them to stay in Jerusalem. And even though he'd given them virtually no information to go on, that is what they did. He told them to wait in Jerusalem for something that would come. He didn't tell them what it was that they were waiting for or how long they had to wait. But they are obeying that instruction. They've obeyed an instruction which didn't make much sense, but it was clear. And that's when the Spirit comes. God desires our togetherness. God wants us to seek him together. And he uses our togetherness. He works through that. It seems to release a particular blessing in his power when his people seek him together. God's desire has never been for isolated individuals to just be working out on their own what it looks like to live for him and to serve him. He wants us to come together 
There is power in this thing that we are when we are together. He wants us to be together and to work it out together what it looks like to follow him and to serve him. So this anointing happens in the context of community. He blesses them and gives himself to them together. But it is also, at the same time, for them individually. Our reading says that the the thing that was like flames separated and came to rest on them individually. Now, given the lack of detail, that is an interesting detail. Whatever this was, it didn't just hover over them corporately as one mass. It separated and it came to each of them individually. And what that's telling us is that even though God desires our togetherness, we don't get to hide at the back of the crowd and pretend this is not for me. They can do that. I'll just be quiet in the corner over here. This is personal for every one of them. God doesn't just see them as a block of believers as a lump he sees each one individually and he anoints each one individually for the work that he has for them to do the shy ones don't get left out the grumpy ones don't get left out this is not some kind of elite classification for those who make the grade this is for all of them All of them who were there in that place that day. Each one individually. And it is for all of us. Let me just jump ahead a little bit here to verse 7 of our reading. Look at what the people say when they start to hear the disciples starting to speak in in other languages suddenly the disciples have become multilingual and the people from all those places in the world can understand them utterly amazed they asked aren't all these who are speaking galileans now you need to understand what they mean by that galileans were low life Galileans was a term of contempt. Galilee was regarded as a backwater place inhabited by uneducated lowlifes. That's what they're saying here. And so from the very first moment, their very first act empowered by the Spirit, our attention is drawn to just who Jesus has chosen for his team his team to undertake this task of changing the world. He does not choose the strong, the rich, the beautiful, the powerful, the influential, or the talented. He chooses manual workers from backwater towns who've had little schooling. And they've only ever lived off what they can catch or what they can make with their hands. These are simple people. 
They frequently have the wrong priorities, and they don't even get on that well. They've followed him around for three years, and they have failed to understand what he was saying to them as often as they did understand it. And they did and said the wrong thing all the time and put their foot in it. These were the first ones to be given this battle. And the nature of Jesus' choice of baton carriers hasn't changed over the years, has it? Jesus chooses us to be on his team. Not because we can do stuff really well, but because we can't. Because we need his help and his power, and we know we do. That's who he wants. That's who he chooses. He chooses people who can't do it. By his power, he makes them able to do it. Let's see how he does it. Let's look at how the Holy Spirit is going to empower them. So he's going to empower them in two ways. He's going to put power into them to do things. And he's going to put power into the things that they do. So we see that they start to speak in other languages. So this is not, um, this is not speaking in heavenly tongues, as we read about in Corinthians. These are earthly languages because the people around them can understand what they're saying. The Holy Spirit empowers them to speak, gives them the ability to speak in ways that they hadn't done before. Speaking isn't the only thing that he empowers us for. But whatever he empowers you to do, it will be to communicate in some way about Jesus and his message of love for the world. This is how the church grows. This is how the message survives and is handed on when we tell other people about what we've experienced. This is what the Spirit empowers. It's empowering us to communicate about Jesus. Whether that is in teaching children, whether that is in spirit-filled artwork or writing, whether that is in acts of service and love that speak powerfully, whether it is caring for other people who are struggling. It may not be public speaking necessarily. Don't be scared. It may not be public speaking necessarily, but the Holy Spirit will take the potential that is in you, the little things that you can already do, that he's already gifted you to do, he will take them and empower you in them in new ways. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, 
Paul urges Timothy to fan into flame the gift that God has given him. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power. And the word that is translated timid here, timidity, it means a tendency to lack confidence and to hesitate. To hesitate to really do the things that we can do. The filling of the Spirit fills us with the courage and the confidence to overcome our hesitation and step forward with boldness to put into use the gifts that he has given us. No more dithering about saying, oh, I don't know if I can do it and I'm a bit scared and I might not be good enough. This is not a self-important boldness that is coming from ourselves. It's not a boldness for our own ego or advancement. This is boldness with humility. And it's about serving. It's a boldness that overcomes our hesitancy. Because now we know that this is the spirit at work in us. So the spirit empowers us to do things. And the things that he empowers us to do will in some way be about communicating Jesus to other people whether that is in spirit-filled actions or words. He puts power in us to overcome our hesitancy and to act and speak with the boldness that comes from knowing it's from him. And he also puts power into those things that we do and those things that we say so that they now have a power that they would not have without him. He makes what we do effective. It's like taking the little paper airplane of our own efforts and firing it with rocket fuel. Our words and our actions get filled with an effectiveness that we couldn't possibly give them on our own. I can speak about Jesus till I'm blue in the face, but unless the Spirit fills the words that I speak, they will have no effect whatsoever. I can do acts of love and service all day long, but until, unless the Spirit fills those things, they will only ever be nice actions. When the Spirit indwells and fills those things that we do and say, those things become filled with the living and active power of God. And that is the power that changes things. What is happening on this day at Pentecost is that Jesus is filling his people, his followers, with what they will need to fulfill this commission that he's given them. 
What Acts goes on to tell us after this day, this event, it goes on to tell us the incredible story of how this tiny group of unlikely and fairly unsuitable people, they go on to start a movement that will change the world. It's a movement that is still living and active in our world today. This was not their own doing. They did not do that by themselves. They couldn't possibly do that in their own power. It is the Holy Spirit who puts the power into the message. This message that does not shrink or cower away or peter out or run dry. It is the Spirit's message. Living faith, living Christian community and growing in Christ, that can't happen without the continual filling of the Holy Spirit who is our life and who empowers us. There can be no life without the life giver, the one who is life and who breathes a completely new kind of life into us if we will ask him, if we will let him. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out onto God's people and he has never been taken away. He poured himself out onto the people of God that day and he pours himself out on them still. There has never been a single moment from that day to this when the people of God have not had the Holy Spirit with them. Our awareness of him has been variable and our willingness to work with him has been variable, but neither of those things have affected the constancy of his presence and his power and his desire to work through his people. He empowers them. What starts here at Pentecost and is still happening today, is that the Holy Spirit empowers his people. He gives us the confidence and the means to do the task that Jesus gave us to do. When we receive his filling, we are empowered. And this is not just something that's for the person who's sitting behind you, not for you. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is for you. And every one of us has a calling and a responsibility to seek this, to pursue this, to track it down with all of our heart so that we can discover and grow into the more that God has for every one of us, for you. And we can sit here and listen and we can learn about the Holy Spirit as a theoretical concept, 
But Tom Wright, the theologian, he says that that is the equivalent of learning about the power of hurricanes by studying diagrams and data about them. It is important that someone is doing that work and keeping records and charts. But when it comes to the spirit, it is far more important that you're out there in the wind, letting it sweep through your life, your heart, your imagination, your powers of speech, and transform you from a listless or lifeless believer into someone whose heart is on fire for God. You can only learn so much about hurricanes from a classroom. If you really want to understand the power of a hurricane, you're going to have to get out there into the wind and let it stun you with the immensity of its power. That's the only way to really know what a hurricane is. Before the Holy Spirit can work through us to change the world, First, he needs to work in us, to change us, to change me. Everything he touches, he changes. Transformation is what he's all about. And he will come and change you to the extent that you're willing to let him. God the Father invites us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises his actual self with us through the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit himself waits to transform you, to fill you, to empower you, if that is what you want. We need the Spirit. This church belongs to Jesus. It's his church, not ours. We need his plan, not ours. We need his strength, not ours. And we need his power, not ours. We need his presence and his filling before we take a single step. Will you seek him? If you want the more that he has for you, you need to ask him and to seek him with all of your heart. 